thing. Amen. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. That's not Romans. That's 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. I knew that when I began reading. But I have it marked down here for Romans also. And it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about the uh, power of prayer, the power of prayer. There, uh, I have have passed over it, and it's just something that has stayed up on my mind for some time now, uh, this uh, idea about Gethsemane. Uh, there is something significant about the garden that we many times overlook, and so I've mentioned it on a couple of different occasions. Tonight, I thought I would go a little more in depth upon it. There are three significant places, really, that, that are... Uh, in the life of Christ that are inseparable. The first one is the tomb. Uh, The first place there that we see him is at the tomb where there is resurrection took place. Here is where the glory of God was manifest. Here is where angels were seen. The enemy, Satan, and sin were defeated. It was here that we see that uh, the grave was opened up and the saints were uh, that had died before this time had been released, right? And they were seen walking in the city of Jerusalem again. And so uh, God has a desire to create resurrection people. He wants us to have resurrection power in our lives. And he wants us to walk in the spirit. He wants us to triumph over our enemies. He, he wants us to manifest the gifts of the Spirit. He wants us to have both fire and fruit in our lives. And so when we see this and understand this, we have to come to an understanding that that's exactly what he paid for when he came out of that tomb. By coming out of that tomb, he gave us the ability to do exactly what I just mentioned. And then he tells us here that he also gives us the ability to reign in life by Christ Jesus. He gives us the ability to overcome the things that this world brings against us. And the very essence of resurrection power, the very essence of life is to live inside of us. Amen. This is true. We don't always live there, but it's God's desire for us to be there. I said we don't always live there, but it's God's desire for us to be there. Sometimes we blow it. Sometimes in life it pushes us around and and sometimes we feel like more death than we do life. 
Huh? Sometimes we feel like that we're more uh, depressed than we are living. And, and that's the reality of it. We are going through this, this seasons in our life where we are bombarded with all of these things called life that happen to us that makes us feel like we couldn't resurrect out of the bed, let alone resurrect from the dead. Amen. But you see, God gave us the ability he put in us when Jesus rose from the tomb. He put in us resurrection power so that we could have life and triumph over every one of our enemies. Amen. So we have to understand tonight as we begin to walk in that authority, we walk in that power, we walk in resurrection life. And as we do, we understand that we cannot lose in this life. God has given us the ability to win at everything that we do. The only reason that we will ever lose is because we quit. We give up. Amen. But there is no losing in the body of Christ. There is not a such thing because if, how can you lose with God in you? How can you lose with resurrection power living on the inside of you? How could you ever go down or, or be able to be defeated except that we give up and say, I, I just don't want to do it anymore. But the fact of it is God has given us resurrection power. And so that's part of the Christian life is the tomb. The second place of the Christian life and, and that Jesus lived out is the cross. And the place of crucifixion, it is here that Jesus was lifted up between heaven and earth. We know that. We know that his blood was poured out so that his life could be poured into us. His blood was poured out so his life could be poured into us. Here his blood was given so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Here we see that all of creation began to tremble and begin to shake. The earth began to tremble. The sun hid its face and refused to shine. We see that, uh, that, that the created killed the creator. It was here on this cross that somehow in modern day society, we miss the ugliness of the cross. We miss the messiness of the cross. We miss the agony and the pain of the cross. But I want to tell you tonight that even though that we may put away the, the splinters and the thorns and the nails and the spikes and we forget about the vinegar and the viciousness of the Roman soldiers and we forget all that he went through, it is still true that the crucifixion is the most gruesome thing that you will ever experience. It was not he was not crucified in a crystal cathedral between two candles. He was crucified between two thieves on a cross. Whenever you look, you'll find and you study out the crucifixion. It was, it was the most horrible thing that you could ever uh, be put upon your life, your family tree. It was like having a, a, a prison address on, on your resume. 
It was something that was, it was, nobody wanted it, regarded it. Nobody wanted it attached to the family's name. To be crucified meant something horrible. It was terrible. And yet Jesus went to that cross to carry that thing for you and me. <coughs> and somehow we've lost the understanding that there is still a cross to bear. Amen. We want, we want the blessing, but we don't want the cross. Amen. Somehow the cross represents to us a place of, of just a little uh, jewelry or a little trinket where that we have, we have uh, put it in gold and we put it on a necklace and we carry it around with us everywhere we go. To some, it's a good luck charm. But you don't see too many people carrying a cross around big enough to die on. You don't see too many people carrying a cross where that it is not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless, huh? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Somehow we've lost the meaning of the cross. We have tied it to just something that's insignificant with, as such as jewelry, but it speaks of a disgraceful death. It, it is associated with criminals. It is an unwanted reputation. And yet all of these things Jesus was willing to go through so that we could have resurrection power, so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. But don't expect to, to, for us to go around today and, and, and not get our will fulfilled. Don't expect us today to go around and not accomplish what we desire and how we want it done and what we want to accomplish with our lives. But Jesus had to come to a place where that he said, it's not my will, but it's God's will. It's God's will. There's two kinds of people in the church. People that are symbolic with symbolic crosses. And then there's people that have denied themselves, taken up the cross and following him. There's those that really understand what the cross means. The group that merely admires Christ and those who d deliberately and sacrificially follow him. The group that is just emotional about Christ, but are not committed to Christ. There's a group that loves superficially, and then there's those that love him so profoundly that they're willing to give up anything to walk out their faith. They're willing to die for Jesus. The group that wants to make everything easy. I had a, a, a pastor friend of mine tell me many years ago when I was still evangelizing. He told me, he said, uh, Brother Matthews, he said, the problem with this American church is we're making it too easy on the people. We're making it too easy on the people. And I thought he just was, he was, had some age on him. I thought he had done rocked off of the porch, you know, making it too easy. How can you make it too easy? But I come to understand now that man wasn't so wrong at all. 
I've come to understand that we have made it so easy and we're worried about so much convenience until we've taken all of the sacrifice out. And without sacrifice, then there is no commitment. Amen. And so I think maybe we need, and I'm not, I understand me tonight. I know that this world is so hectic and crazy and we want to do everything we can do to get people in. Come on, huh? We want whatever it takes, whatever it requires. But on the other side of that coin, we need to push on people and say, you still got a cross to bear. You still got to make some sacrifice. It ain't always going to be easy to come to the house of the Lord. It isn't always going to be easy to serve in the dream team and do things for ministry. But I promise you it won't always be easy, but I can also promise you it'll be worth it. Because of what Jesus did, lives are being changed. And whenever we make sacrifice, our sacrifice does not go unnoticed by God, but it will be worth it. And my concern is, as the church and the body of Christ has merely become a hobby. Amen. But can I tell you the day of the church being a hobby is about to quickly be gone. Because we are facing things in our near future that the church has never faced before. And a fluffy church of powder puff Christians that don't have any elasticity to stand and don't know what sacrifice is about will never be able to endure the test and the circumstances that are quickly coming upon the American church. But we've got to still have discipleship. We've still got to be, be a people that says, God, this is not a hobby to me. Whatever I have to do, I'm willing to do. I want to serve you. I want to give you my life, my gift, my talent, my treasure, that you can be glorified in everything that I do. (coughs) When Peter wrote his epistle, Christianity was not a popular religion. To be a Christian involved a price. To witness, there was a cost. In, in, in fact, I found, I looked this up in the New Testament term, the term witness, we get our word martyr from. Amen. It's the English word martyr. Are you willing to die for Christ or is he just a hobby to you? Are you willing to be martyred for what you believe? You know why the Islam and the Muslim religion is so feared? It's because they believe in their gospel. And the American church don't believe in their gospel. I can tell some of you might have picked the wrong night to come. Huh? But it is true. We don't believe in the gospel. We believe in the gospel as long as it makes me feel good. As long as I'm getting something. But to die for it, 
<laughs> oh, I was just kidding. No. The old disciples said, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. In other words, do whatever you have to do, Bubba, but I'm still going to serve the Lord. You want to kill me, kill me, but I'm going to serve the Lord. If you let me live, I'm going to tell others about the love and the goodness of a living Christ. Amen. We've got to buy into this thing, believe this thing, and express it with our whole being. Nobody's signing up to say, shoot me, huh? But I'm telling you that we have to believe in this thing that we say we're willing to be martyrs for Christ. Peter uses the term suffer 17 times in this letter. For the five is mentioned suffering of Christ and 12 applied to the early Christians. So he said 12 times these early Christians suffered for Christ. Five of those times he is talking about the suffering of a living Christ. In other words, Christ suffered and he's saying the church is going to suffer too. That the trying trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Christianity came out of suffering. It came out of the cross. Come on. It is the faith that was born out of death. It is the triumph that came in the face of tragedy. We see it again and again in the lives of Christians from the adversity of the pilgrim's progress. From the blind uh, blindness, we got 6,000 hymns from Fanny Crosby. Amen. From uh, imprisonment, we find that the classic story of discipleship was understood and developed. From the Nazi concentration camp, we hear the message of Corey Tim Boone that repeated the words uh, and, and tells us there is no pit so deep that there is not still yet a, uh, that he is not still deeper. In other words, you can go ahead and throw us in this pit, but there isn't no pit you can throw us in that God cannot reach us. In Romans 12 and 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Therefore, be not conformed unto this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've got to get a new mindset. We've got to get a militant mindset. We've got to get a warring mindset, Right? Hallelujah. The cross teaches us nothing can overwhelm us, overtake us, or overpower us. It is from the cross that we see pain turned to power. Taunting was turned to triumph. The angry mob was replaced by an angelic host. And so we understand today, what do we understand? We understand wherever there is testing, wherever there is difficulty, wherever there is a cross, that God will always show up and turn the thing around. 
He will turn the thing around. So we have to understand tonight that if we are in a test, if we're at a cross experience in our life, it is not for us to die there. It is for God to show up there. (laughs) In the New Testament days, the world respected the church. It seems like we don't have any respect today. No honor for the house of God. No respect for the things of the kingdom. Huh? But could it be because the world sees no sacrifice in us? That the only thing they see us do is come conveniently to a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday night. And aren't we sacrificing up in here tonight in this nice building? Aren't we suffering in here in the convenience of heat and nice lights and good sound and nice music? Haven't we really suffered here for Christ tonight? Huh? And the world looks at us and, and, and may perhaps, I'm just saying, perhaps they don't see any sacrifice on our part that makes them honor, revere, and respect us that they did the old saints. This is something to think about, something I thought about. There is no Christianity without a cross. There is no Christianity without a cross. The tomb, the cross, and the garden. This is where I want to get tonight. The garden of Gethsemane is like no other place in Jesus' life. It's the only place in scripture where we see Jesus in a sense of struggle. No other place in scripture will you find him seemingly struggling about anything. At the beginning of his ministry, he went to the wilderness and faced the devil face to face and there was no sign of struggle. But at Gethsemane, it's evident there was a struggle. Every, excuse me, every believer faces their own their own enemy. And there are three enemies that we all must face. Two of them we talk a lot about. One is sin, the other is Satan. But I submit to you, sin and Satan really have no dominion after we have had a tomb and and a cross experience. But the third one is the one you need to be concerned with. Sin will, will challenge you. Satan will try to work on you. But, but it really is self you need to look out for. Self is the one who will destroy you. I'm not worried about a witch. I'm not worried about a warlock. I'm not worried about demons. I've dealt with them before. They have no power. <laughs> I said they have no power. Greater is he that is in us than that world in the enemy. 
My concern isn't a witch, a warlock. It isn't the demons. It isn't the devil. He's been defeated and rendered helpless. My concern is myself. In the garden, Christ faced himself. Gethsemane tested his commitment to the father's purpose in his life. It was there that he had, he died. He, he died for all of mankind. You say, well, pastor, he died on the cross. No, he already died in the garden because he, he, he gave up his will in the garden. The blood trail didn't start on the cross. The blood trail started in the garden. Because it was there that he dealt with himself and self-denial that not my will, but your will be done. Amen. And so we have to as well deal with ourselves. Here he was alone. Here he felt the travail and the inner struggle. Here he was in, excuse me, and his blood or his sweat turned to blood. Here he was in his weakness where it required supernatural assistance. Here we see him in the midst of all of these disciples sleeping. He was struggling alone. Can I tell you that real struggles always take place alone? Real struggles take place alone. Nobody there to help you. You may be in a full room, but you're by yourself. Have you ever been there? Here, powerless, this of the flesh, has to contend with the power of prayer. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked his disciples, sit here while I go and pray there yonder. And he took with him Peter and two of his sons, Zebedee, uh, sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here until and watch with me. This word here, very sorrowful, in the Greek literally means to be utterly astonished, to be dazed to be thrown into a state of terror. Jesus was expressing himself here when he said that he was very heavy. The Greek word for heavy here means, uh, meaning distress of mind, tortured in thought, under a psychological strain. By his own confession, Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful. What does that mean? It's a state of intense grief to be uh, drowning in, as it were, a sea of sorrow. So in fact, he describes the sorrow was unto death. So he was saying what Jesus was really saying in plain terminology, I feel like I'm dying here. It's one thing to be physically exhausted, but it's another thing to be mentally overwhelmed. 
You can deal with physical exhaustion, but when you're mentally overwhelmed, it will take everything from you. You will have no fight left. You will have no desire left. You will have no ability in you. And Jesus was in that garden struggling through his flesh, taking on himself and saying, not my will, but your will be done. And he said, it feels like I'm dying. The disciples had never seen him like this before. (coughs) They had never seen him do during any time that he was emotional like he was here. He was saying, my heart is nearly breaking inside. My emotions are overwhelmed. My heart is heavy until it feels as though it is about to break. And Jesus left his three disciples and they didn't know what all of this meant. They didn't know. I mean, no, you can have people love you, but they just don't know. They don't know what you're going through. They don't know what you're facing. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. But it's in these places that we deal with ourselves that we yield to the Lordship of Christ. And we say, God, it seems that I'm worried, I'm frustrated, I'm heavy in heart. And the disciples did not understand because they had never seen Jesus like this before. That experience in Gethsemane was where the victory over the experience of the cross was won. In that garden, Christ discovered the foundation of power that flowed out of resurrection. It was there that he overcame the enemy. It was there that he overcame the work, amen, that he would have to deal with. And that's the reason why I've told you a couple of times, it's just in me, that, that, that he did not have any problem getting on that cross, being nailed to the cross, putting the crown of thorns upon him, being mocked, ridiculed, his beard plucked from him. He had no problem with that because he dealt with himself in the garden. He won the battle in the garden. The garden is the private place. Amen. It's the private place where you deal with yourself. I'm so glad tonight that God will allow me the privilege to deal with myself in the private place. To get all the ugly out of me in the private. Get all of the issues dealt with in my mind out in the private place. So that whenever we come to the cross, which represents to me public ministry, then then we don't have a struggle. We don't have the war. We don't have the battle. We can say freely and easily, not my will, but your will be done. How can that be done? Because we spent our time in the garden. Amen. But you see... This generation, this this season that the world is in, our culture 
is that of making leaps, bypasses, getting somewhere quickly, even if you haven't finished what what needs to be finished from here to there. Huh? But what good is it if you get from here to there, but you haven't learned what you need to know to stay there? What good is it for you to become king if you don't know how to be a king? What good does it do you if you've bypassed, you've skipped all of the the, the things that help you to get there? You see, that what we have tried to extract from our relationship and our walk with God is something called process. And we pull the process out and we just want to get the success. But I want to tell you that success can destroy you if you haven't gone through the process. Why? Because whenever we've got success without going through the process, then we will never be able to stay in success because we don't know how to stay, what caused us to be successful. To stay successful. And so we've extracted the garden from our walk with God. Huh? And now we just want to be successful. It's funny to me what people in in the body of Christ have, have determined success is. For some it's being on the stage. For some it's a title. Huh? For some, it's a label. For some, it's for some, you know, preaching meetings or doing this, that, or the other. But what about somebody that's not called to the pulpit? Does that mean that that they are not successful? No. If you're not called to the pulpit, then you are foolish to even try. Amen. But if you're called to babies, huh? if you're called to the nursery and that's where your anointing is and that's where you're gifted to do, amen, your reward will be great for you to stay in the calling in which you have been called, amen, and do it with excellence than it is to try to achieve a title or a label and be out of the place that God has called you. Without Gethsemane experiences, without garden experiences, we will always be running from our cross. We'll we'll bolt when difficult times come. That's the reason why some people, you know, they'll come and they'll get involved in ministry and then when tough times come, when they face something, they they bolt. I'm convinced it's because they haven't been through the garden. I'm convinced of that. Because whenever you've been through the garden, baby, there isn't nothing in ministry that'll shake you. Jesus wasn't shaken on the cross. He was... Visibly shaken in the garden. 
going through those tests, going through that difficulty, going through that pressure, not dealing with Satan. He dealt with Satan in the wilderness. He was dealing in the garden with himself. Satan didn't shake him. When he looked at himself, it shook him. And he said on two different occasions, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he came to the conclusion, not my will, but your will be done. Everyone must pass through the garden. (coughs) What is the garden? The garden is the place of prayer. That's where I deal with Brian. That's where I deal with the ugly. (laughs) Amen. That's where I deal with things that I didn't even know I had to deal with. But whenever I open myself up in those private places of prayer, God begins to reveal some things in me that's not like him. And I have to deal with me in that private place so that when I step into that public place, I have no struggle. Don't let them see you sweat. Why? Because you've already won the battle in the private place. The next few weeks will be going into extensive time of fasting and prayer. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I know you look at me and say, big as you are, you talk about you love fasting, I love it. It's it's saved my life. It saved our ministry. Renee and I, I don't think there's ever been a year we haven't, has there? Since we've been married, we haven't taken the first of the year fasted. We was doing it before it was popular, before it was cool, you know, before Jensen started out selling his books. Because I just felt like this principle of tithing is the law of first things. You give God the first and it's likened to giving him the whole. And so in my mind, it was like, God, I give you the first of the year and it's likened unto me giving you the whole year. And it's a time for me to deal with me. It's time for me to get lined up, not trying to figure out, God, what what can I do that you'll bless? But God, what are you doing that I can get involved in? So in these next, uh, in January, January the 4th through January the the 24th, actually it'll end on the 25th. We'll be doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to have significant times, strategic times other set aside where we're going to pray. We're going to be praying on Sunday nights. We're going to have some midnight prayer around here. I know there won't be a whole lot of people show up, but it'll be powerful. And we're going to have midnight prayer. And I believe that God is going to show up on Friday nights. 
I believe that God's going to show up. He's put it in my heart to do that. From 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock on Friday nights, we're going to pray during that time. I don't expect the house to be full of people, but I do expect it to be full of his glory. And so it's going to be some great times around here of just consecration and dedication. And on this night, I just felt like I need to come and say, we need the garden. I said, we need the garden. If we get the gar- if we have the garden, we'll have the resurrection power. If we have the garden, amen, we will have the, the cross and what it represents and the victory that he has given us there. But we've got to get the garden. We've got to get the garden. And so that's where we're headed. We're headed in this time of, of strategically looking into and believing God. We've got a lot of great things going on around here at the tabernacle. And if you don't believe me, just go check out some churches. You'll find out uh, God has blessed us in a mighty way here. Amen. And I can say it without even feeling like I'm bragging. We've got uh, some of the best staff that there is on the planet here at the tabernacle. Amen. got dynamic uh, student ministry going on. We've got a powerful uh, children's ministry going on, praise and worship. Amen. The word of God goes forth in a wonderful way. And so, you know, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Amen. And we're just going to, we've worked hard at this the last six years. It wasn't that there wasn't anything here before we come. Great foundation, but we've worked hard on these things. But this year, we're going to focus on his presence. We're going to focus on the the manifestation, the power, and the glory of God and him just being real in us. And I believe that he's going to do great and mighty things through us this year. Amen. Praise God. Not because the clock turns 12 on the 31st, but because God's time clock is winding up and he needs a church that's full of power and full of the anointing. And people that believe their message and if need be willing to die for it. Amen. Hallelujah. I want us to pray tonight. Just ask God to help us. I want us to pray tonight for Pastor Jack Henry. He's dealing with some physical things there. He's had a, another stroke. Uh, last week and uh, he's having some challenges in his body and uh, we want to pray for him and ask God to strengthen him tonight. Amen. And also he's facing some uh, uh, some uh, decisions he needs to make and I talked to him right before uh, service tonight and I told him that we would pray and believe God to answer and give him clear direction on those things. Praise God. Let's just pray together here for a moment. Father.